Dotnet Rocks episode 942, with guests Glenn Block, Daryl Miller, Felix Pedro, and Christian Weyer. Recorded live at the NDC in London, Thursday, December 5th, 2013. This episode is brought to you by Telerik, offering the best in developer tools and support. Online at telerik.com. And by Franklins.net, makers of Gesture Pack, a powerful gesture recording and recognition system for Microsoft Connect for Windows developers. Details at gesturepak.com. And now, here are Carl and Richard. It's .NET Rocks! Yes, sir. It's the NDC in London. We're at the Excel Center. The Norwegian Developers Conference in England. Uh, It's the new developers. The new, oh, that's right. It's like Norwegian, only different. Yeah, it's funny. Um, When I was coming through customs. Yes. They said, what are you doing? And I said, I'm going to a developer conference. She said, what's it called? I said, the Norwegian Developers Conference. And she says, are you sure you're in the right country? <laughs> yeah, it's a long story. Well, anyway, we're here. we got a, a great panel, a web API panel. We've got a great audience. Yeah! And we've got a great Better Know framework. So let's roll the music. <laughs> All right, buddy, what do you got? Well, uh, I spent a little time on CodePlex today, Ooh. and uh, earlier I found the number one downloaded uh, project, oh, which yeah. is uh, Python. Yeah, the, for the Visual Pi Studio. Tools. Pi Tools for that Visual Studio. That was very Studio. cool. This, however, is a brand new version of the Player Framework. Oh, really? Which, you remember Scott Stanfield, Vertigo Software, yeah, they did the yeah. whole media framework. They did like the Winter Olympics in, in Vancouver, 2010. Right. And it was all Silverlight for a while. Yeah. Well, now the player framework works on Windows 8, Windows Phone, blah, 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 but it also works on HTML5. Nice. So go down to playerframework.codeplex.com, scroll down on the screen, and there's a link to the HTML5 version, mm-hmm. and indeed, they have the player framework for HTML5. Now, you know, the, the Silverlight version uses IIS... Uh, smooth streaming. Smooth streaming, yeah. adaptive streaming. Here's what they say about that. The player framework for HTML5 is intended for use in browser-based applications. The framework has been tested in latest versions of desktop and mobile browsers that support the HTML5 video tag. It should be noted that the W3C does not currently have a standard for adaptive bitrate streaming, Right. so most browsers only support progressive download playback at this time. Microsoft, along with 90 other technology and media companies, is driving a standard called MPEG-DASH, D-A-S-H, that promises to become the industry-wide standard for adaptive streaming in the future. We expect MPEG-DASH to be supported in browsers, devices, and various application platforms. Once it has been implemented, we will update the HTML5 player framework to support the standard. Awesome. So there you so go. this is using abstraction to hide the fact that it's not a set standard yet. Yeah, exactly. I love that. That's really cool. But what's really great is, can you imagine adaptive, you know, smooth streaming, 
changing the bitrate based on the bandwidth constraints. It's available at the time. In the browser. This is what, I mean, like Netflix Netflix is doing that. Should be all over it. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Awesome. Great find. Playerframework.codeplex.com. Know it, learn it, love it. Mr. Campbell, who's talking to us? I grabbed a comment off of show 845, and that's that Web API roundtable we did with Glenn Block. Never heard of him. Hendrik Nielsen and Daryl Miller. Yeah. And this comment comes from Jason Kemi, who says, uh, Hi, Richard and Carl. I'm a... I like they started with Richard. That's yeah, well. Uh, I'm a self-educated developer with 15 years of experience. This last year, you guys have led me down a lot of interesting roads. Because of you guys, I've studied Erlang and transitioned to F-sharp. And I started to relearn C++ to familiarize myself with C++11. I have been seriously looking at Git and transitioning my personal projects to it. I've been hearing about Web API for a while now. And the best description anyone has ever given me up until now was it's MVC for web services and WCF. <laughs> Cool. Not that that would cause this panel any controversy. <laughs> this has allowed me to ignore it for a while when my head was still spinning from all the things I mentioned above. Yeah. However, listening to this episode made me realize how much I hate you guys. <laughs> my wallet in time slowly diminishes with every other episode. I knew I had to play with this framework as soon as I heard that there is no need to start a web server to test. Mm. Then it was mentioned that the inversion of control had been thought throughout the code base, and I was sold. Mm. I am now digging through all my old projects to see what can be converted to Web API so I can learn it. <laughs> Maybe I can find a project well, that would solve a problem at home. So if these claims are true, then Web API is so much more than MVC for web services. I have recently started moving myself from a generic middle-tier developer to one who is getting his feet wet in web technologies. I found myself disappointed by MVC and its inability to fulfill on its promise of being truly testable. Hmm. It's a testing guy. That's yeah, what he okay. cares about. Yeah. Yes, it is more testable than when it came before it, which is polite when you talk about ASP.NET right. platforms. Sure. Uh, but the need to spin up a web server every time I want to hit front-end code slows me down enough that I do not run those tests very often. Hmm. I found it difficult to do TDD in MVC, as I feel the frameworks inhibit me occasionally. I admit that this may be due to my own lack of understanding, but I'm unable to find easy resources to help me when I hit these sticky situations. In closing, I love the show, and thank you for opening my eyes further to the wide and wonderful world we now work, live, and play in. And I'd really love a show on introducing children to programming. Now, admittedly, this comment's a few months old, and we did that show. We've done a couple shows. You're welcome, Jason. Yeah. And uh, hey, thanks for your great comment. I'm sure the guys are going to bite onto it a bit. And a .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, just write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or on any of our mobile apps. We make them for Windows Phone 7 and 8, Windows 8, iOS, and Android. And those apps were built by Diatom Enterprises. We'd love to build you an app. So just go to DiatomEnterprises.com. Yeah, all right. We have six unruly developers here and speakers on the panel. I'm just going to let them introduce themselves. Several Germans. Yeah, it's the Brigade of Germans. Uh, go ahead. Let's just go down the line and let them introduce themselves. Sure. I'm Daniel Roth. I work at Microsoft. I'm the program manager for ASP.NET Web API. Well, there you go. A real blue badge. Awesome. Uh, I'm Dominic, and I work for FinTech, which is a German company, and I'm doing Web API security and security in general pretty much full time. Yeah. I'm the German Titan. (laughs) (laughs) Some call me Christian. Christian Weyer. So I'm also working for ThinkTecture, and we're doing a bunch of customer projects where ASP.NET Web API is involved 
especially when it comes to um, providing services for well a variety of client platforms and not just the classical Windows client. Yeah. Hi, my name is Pedro. I'm a teacher. I'm a developer. Um, I try to spend most of my time uh, learning, and I'm also a co-author of an upcoming book. All right, Pedro. <laughs> my name is Daryl Miller. I've been on the advisory board for Web API since pretty early on, and I'm often accused of being a REST advocate. <laughs> <laughs> My name is Glenn Block. I started Web API, and I now work at Splunk. Um, and I do a lot of work in the Web API community around promoting hypermedia and good ways to build um, HTTP services. And I've been working with Daryl and Pedro, and we've just finished authoring a book on building Web APIs with ASP.NET. Awesome! What a great panel! Yeah. There's a lot of you, and it's going to be a challenge to get everybody's voice in, and certainly we'll take plenty of questions from the audience. Uh, should I lead off? Why do I need this? What's wrong with WCF REST services? This is unnecessary, Glenn. Why did you build this? I blame you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think uh, that's a great question. Um, WCF services were really designed for more um, proprietary systems communicating with one another, third-party systems, and what we saw was a big trend in the industry where um, services were, were starting to get consumed by many, many clients, browsers, uh, mobile devices, etc. And SOAP really wasn't sufficient for that type of consumption model. It was very heavy. Heavy um, is the word. Yeah. yeah, very heavy, required tooling. Um, and so really what Web API was about doing is going back to the roots of what HTTP was designed for and saying, hey, you know what, you can actually build APIs in a very lightweight manner that work with any HTTP client. And to be fair, we saw the rest of the industry going this direction, and we looked and said, we need to get on this bandwagon. Um, so that was really why we went down that direction. And the advantage really from a, if you put it in a pure practical perspective, is if my API is consumable by more clients, that's more business. So it really has, uh, you know, now you can design an API that an iOS device can be consuming and an Android device can be consuming, and I can be viewing it in Chrome or IE or any kind of browser and even a mainframe. So all these clients are now accessible, whereas before, only a client, if it had a SOAP stack, would be able to communicate in that world. So that's one of the key benefits. So would you say uh, Web APIs, Microsoft's answer, your answer to the REST revolution yeah, I mean, REST is a very highly overloaded term, and I try not to use it anymore, even though I was accused of being a Rastafarian before. Uh, I've Rastafarian, since seen, is that what you I've said? since <laughs> seen the light, but... He hasn't got the hair for it. What I would say is it's Microsoft's answer for being able to build services that fully leverage HTTP. Sure. And Dan can tell you this, having been on the WCF team, that WCF was actually designed to completely abstract away. Mm. It thinks of HTTP as more of a transport and a yeah. payload carrying mechanism, um, whereas HTTP actually has quite a lot of richness, and people that use a web API start to actually discover that richness because suddenly it's now surfaced to you, it's not hidden away. So uh, just quickly here, what happened to all the people who were, you know, saying that we need all of the things that, you know, WS Star gave us for interoperability purposes, you know, do the, does that interoperability 
I think Christian away. is the right person to answer that question because <laughs> he was the king. Um, Christian. I'm not sure what those guys went to. Um, yes, so the WO Star stuff was a lot of um, black characters on white paper. Nice. Right? And lots of specifications. And XML schemer is your friend, and, man. Yeah, no, no. Essential specifications like WS atomic transactions, for yeah. example, yes, where you say, oh, yes, that totally makes sense, yeah? You're building a service-oriented, service-based application architecture. You have, you have Services are a design means for for decoupling parts of your application ecosystem, and mm -hmm. then you are building a specification that does two-phase commit transactions over service boundaries. Something has to be wrong, right? And there were one or the other of those specifications that just tried to mimic Corba uh, and mm -hmm. put Corba into angle brackets, right? Yes. So that, oh yes, now we have XML and XML is interoperable, right? And it's human readable. So it's easy. So let's do interoperability based on XML. And that's how the WSR things evolved. And uh, part of them was really a disaster, I guess. And the other part was quite successful, like in the security space. There are specifications and standards that are successful and that can interoperate, but so others don't. So in the security space, which I I'm really, this is what I'm talking about here, you know, interoperability between a Java system and a .NET system, for example, and doing security between both of those systems, that may work. How does, how does that work in a, in a web API environment, or does it? Does Web API even address that issue? Mm -hmm. it, it works much better, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, um, I think also, I think we all agree that the only spec that really had to be on top of SOAP was W security. That was the most important spec, I think. That the only thing that was missing from the core thing, yeah. and many, I think, agree that if Microsoft would have just built that SOAP plus W security, yeah. it would have been done years earlier, mm. <laughs> and nice. much, much, much more successful. Obviously, you're building distributed systems, you need security. You can't just, you know, leave that out. Yeah, but can um, I solve this with SSL and some certs? Yeah, I mean, that is part of it. I mean, the, the W security spec had these modes of security, yeah? And uh, one was called message security. And that was basically, had the assumption that you don't have SSL. And, right. and you're, you're building your own SSL. And that made it tremendously complex, yeah? But it also had this other mode that they often called mixed mode, where they used the best of the SOAP stuff that you transmit credentials over the SOAP envelope, but combined with SSL. And suddenly, that was a, a, a kind of a sensible security protocol. Well, I but remember back in the 90s when, you know, when this was all coming out, .NET was coming out, and SOAP and everything. And it's in late 90s, early 2000s. The, the web was slower, right? And so SSL slowed things down considerably for many companies. And so there was a concern about performance and using SSL. I don't fully buy that. SSL, <laughs> SSL is basically going to handle the encryption of the message as it passes across the wire. There are still organizations that, um, like banks and other financial institutions, that feel that that data has to be completely encrypted even when it gets to the other side. And that's why... SOAP services and WS Star are still alive. It's just that I think there was a period when people thought that was the only way that they could go. And now it's kind of like, hey, if we have that vector, if SSL is not sufficient for us, then we might go down that path. Um, but, you know, the other thing I think to mention when we were talking about browsers, like we say just browsers, but think of all these JavaScript libraries that are out there, like Angular and jQuery. Mm -hmm. 
that whole world was just not, had no access to these kind of SOAP services. Sure. But in the web API world, yeah. it's very easy for me to just write a jQuery client Absolutely. that can pull this data down. The, the reality so that was a little bit of a tangent on security, but. Daniel. The more, the more layers you add to the stack, the harder interop really becomes. Oh, it's a, I mean, it took yeah. a lot the of work. WS Star bundles get, that came out of Microsoft were yeah. lovely until I needed to work with anybody that wasn't Microsoft. Yeah. If you want interop, you want to get simple. Yeah. And that's where web APIs just shine. Because, yeah. you know, HTTP, interop over HTTP is great. You want to get reach, then that's a fantastic story. You add more of those layers, you get complexity. Pedro's going harder. nuts over there. Go ahead, Pedro. <laughs> Pedro. I, I would like to state that, that there was the myth that HTTP provided few things and we need more things on top of HTTP and those things were provided by SOAP but I think it's the other way around. Yeah. SOAP removed lots of essential things from HTTP and provided yeah. some that are not Catching. relevant such as atomic transactions but it removed for instance optimistic concurrency mm. that HTTP yeah. provides. Yeah. It removed uh, caching, it removed uh, different methods with different semantics such as Important methods and safe methods. Mm -hmm. So, at the end of the day, I think so provided. Yeah, prov at the end of the day, I think so provided much less than HTTP already provided in the beginning. I agree. It replaced things yeah. that didn't need to be replaced. <laughs> right. Right. We were better off sticking with the HTTP protocol and what it could do for us rather than build this additional layer on top of it. And I think part of it was due to the mental model, that it was really just viewed as a transport. Yeah. Right. And the application semantics, like the fact that it really is an application yeah. layer protocol, that it had was application completely ignored. Semantics. Yes, was completely ignored. It was like, Daniel. I can pass a payload. That, that said, the, the benefit you got out of layering SOAP on top of HTTP as a transport is that it opened up the possibility that you could then move to other transports. Like in right. WCF, well, you could do net TCP with I mean, that binary. was that basic statement about WCF. CF. I mean, I wrote a transaction that worked over email. It didn't make it smart, yeah, yeah, but it worked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I still can remember those days where we were firing up our WCF service on Monday with a TCP binding, and yeah. then on Tuesday with an HTTP binding, yes. right? And then on Friday we said, oh, let's do queuing. That's awesome. It's happened, at, all the, happened all the time, right? Happened all the time, <laughs> every week. Seriously, at the end of the day, what we did in client projects is to take away features from WSTAR to, to, get, to get away features from WCF to make it easier, right? To just boil down to HTTP, to HTTPS, to have maybe um, a basic HTTP binding, maybe have a binary encoding over HTTPS, and nothing more, right? right? So that was the natural path core away point. from the complexity of WSTAR into the direction of, well, more or less web API. Yeah. And the problem we saw, like WCF had WCF HTTP, which was an HTTP stack, but it was really unnatural. And it was like, you know, like the, we, we put all these layers on top and now we provide a way for you to like dive in to get kind of what you want, but it was really horrendous code to do it. I still remember the first days of the Web API Advisory Board, so it was still WCF yes, Web it was, API, it was, it and we were really trying to model HTTP re request and response message based on SOAP messages. So no, I mean, to be fair, and, and Dan can tell you this, we went and gutted deep into WCF yeah. as far as we could. I'm, I'm truly happy it made it to MVC because when we got all the way to the bottom, we realized we could go no further. We were stuck. Yeah. So it was like, and even so, 
we ended up, even in the WCF web API days, I mean, there were a lot of customers when we first moved to MVC, we had gotten a lot of customers who had loved MVC who suddenly have moved over to WCF web API and they were happy, even though there were significant limitations. Hmm. And we broke all those limitations when we went over to the uh, MV, you know, when we consolidated. You're talking about the teams. like we, we, No, 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 no. I'm talking about things like the fact that there's WCF... There's no MVC in Web API, right? WCF expected... There's no MVC No, no, what I mean is, you know, WCF had the notion of like a static URL to get to a service. And, you know, there were, there were these built-in constraints within WCF, you would hit these ceilings like around routing and things like that that all went away once yeah. we moved off of the traditional WCF stack to what became... Well, you still get back to this idea of stop messing with HTTP. HTTP does this for you. You know, Pedro hit on this core point. It's like, HTTP figured this out a long time ago. Tim Berners-Lee was right. We kept trying to reinvent his stuff. And when you stop doing that, a whole lot of pain went away. If we had, well, so yeah, the, this, I mean, this web thing is, seems to be working, right? If web, we had just built WCF and said HTTP is the only transport and HTTPS, maybe oh, we would have been better off. That's the nature of capitalism when you add the web, right? Add capitalism to the web and you get, oh, well, how does Microsoft take over the internet? How does Adobe take over the internet? You know, everybody needs to put their thing in there and, you know, suck you in to take over the internet in some way. And they, we had 10, 20 years of that stuff. And now everybody's sort of figured out, oh, yeah, maybe we should just do whatever, you know, support the standards that everybody else is doing. And when we started to do um, WCF Web API, we had a lot of people saying, well, what about my net TCP binding and all of that? And we just made it very clear from the beginning of, like, don't use Web API. Right. Like, we are not trying to be the Uber unification yeah. of everything else. We are going to be a very opinionated about HTTP uh, type of framework. Daryl? Yeah? How opinionated are you? <laughs> Well, it's interesting that you bring up this point that that we SOAP kind of hid the HTTP model. And, and I would kind of make the argument that with Web API 2, we're starting to obscure the HTTP model again. Really? Yeah. I mean, my favorite thing to pick on, and Dan knows about this, is I HTTP action result. Right? Uh. We, it, I think somebody kind of realized that there are many scenarios where you don't want to just return an object. You want to be able to um, manipulate the request and response headers. Mm -hmm. And we have a mechanism to do that, HTTP response message. Yep. But in Web API 2, there is a new mechanism to return the response using its IHTTP action result. And the story is, is it helps things more testable, but I, I, I'm, not, I'm not convinced you think that it really does. You're thinking about other transports. No, I, I'm just I'm, I'm just saying that it's a it's a new abstraction that doesn't have a direct correlation in HTTP. Right. And I think one of the things that makes Web API awesome is the fact that it stays so true to HTTP. Yeah, it's HTTP opinionated. So it's not yes. about multi-transport. I think what, if I can elaborate on what Daryl is saying is that we HTTP was really front and center in Web API v1 particularly with the HTTP programming model, which lets you easily get access to a response, manipulate it. And that response was, was really designed, the HTTP response and request messages were designed very closely in accordance with the HTTP spec, which Henrik Nielsen, who co-authored HTTP, helped to actually make sure that happened. And now we have some new abstractions in the name of testability, which are not quite as nice. Mm -hmm. And so it's not about multi-transport at all. It's all about... How do we make things more testable? And there is an argument there. I also felt that the HTTP request response messages have plenty of issues around testability. But I do get Daryl's point, which is 
that um, they're not as nice. To be, to, be, to be fair, you know, returning an object from your Web API action method is also not an HTTP response message either. We, we could write all your Web APIs with HTTP request message in, right. HTTP response message out, and yeah, that's pure HTTP, and you, you can do that, and you still can do that. It's just the reality is, is that people want higher level programming models on top that add value, that make, make themselves more productive. Um, instead of having just HTTP response message and, or object and nothing in between, IHP action results sort of gives you a middle ground where you can, uh, it, it's still going to return an HTTP response message. That's all, all an action result really does is produce an HTTP response message. You're increasing the learning curve for the framework because the question that you always get, well, is which one should I use and when and why? So unless a feature really adds a significant amount of value, I, I think it should be kept out of core. I think core should remain a pure HTTP model. If people want to add, if there are extensions to be added, but I think we have to be really I careful mean, moving forward that so, core doesn't bloat. So you to, want to a be, testability class, essentially, to, to isolate that stuff? We well, only put it in be, there so it was more to testable. Be, to be honest, the blame is on the people that implemented those abstractions. Right. Like, the, the fact that we added the action result stuff partially has to do with the fact that what is there is very hard to mock. It's a, it's a lightweight dictionary, but people have fallen into problems where they want to basically easily have a class that implements an interface like an IHTP request message. Things would have been a lot easier if those abstractions that we use actually had the ability to have, uh, no, have an interface. HTTP response message, as Petro mentioned in his talk, is a value object. It's, it's really easy to test. The only time it gets difficult to test is when you pull the whole connect mechanism in there because then you need to it go out and get you the formatters. And it doesn't let you implement custom behavior. You can wrap on top of it and fill the dictionary, but reality of it is everything is, you, you're, things are not virtual. You're not able, I mean, I've, I've had this. I experienced this where there were times where I wanted to be able to say, hey, when this property gets pulled, I actually want to have some code there that is running and I have no way to do that. But HTTP response message is defined by the spec. What do you want to, you can't add custom behavior. To it's the not, HTTP it's spec. not about, no, but it's about like, in, it's, it's about the implementation of what happens when certain properties get pulled. It's not about the HTTP spec. Anyway. I think there are other ways of doing it. <laughs> <laughs> I think the world is not black and white. And I, at the time when these abstractions came out, and Dan knows this, I was supportive of these testing abstractions because I saw customers falling into pain around Shouldn't they have been packaged as testing abstractions rather than part of core? I mean, that's what Daryl was concerned about is it's in the core. So me as a developer coming raw into this set of APIs, I'm like, this thing has just as much priority as everything else. And you want HTTP first. Well, because they're not just abstractions for testing in the sense that, you know, you don't have one set of code that runs for testing as far as from a compilation perspective. Like you may change certain implementations, but it's like you build your code this way. And as a result, it's more than, it is more than just testing. But no, I, I, I think having it in core is fine. I mean, I, I think it just has to be messaged. And my biggest concern actually, as long as it's enabled, like, if you stop me from being able to return uh, an HTTP response message, I probably will be unhappy. Um, if there's other abstractions and it's like, hey, you can use this if this is your scenario, but you still have the raw access, I'm, I'm okay with that. Speaking of testability, there was the question about um, MVC testability. And actually, I was surprised to hear that, that comment because MVC from the get-go was designed to be very testable. Yeah. Web API followed a lot of the same principles. A lot of those principles allow you to do unit testing, style testing, fairly 
easily. Like, mm -hmm. like the action results is, is part of that design. Honestly, you have a command pattern that you can just assume that the, the action result implementation's already been unit tested. You don't have to deal with it. You just make sure that it was set up correctly. Uh, it sounded like the, the comment was more about these like integration testing and end-to-end -end scenarios where I actually want to execute the full request up and down the pipeline, see that my extension points like filters and message handlers are all getting run. And it is true that with Web API, you, you, do, you do get that. You can take your HP client and your HP server, you just plug them right together and you can send requests all the way up and down yeah. and do the full request uh, pipeline in, in memory without even ever touching the wire, which is pretty nice. It does make it powerful. The, the gripe for MVC was around, that I remember very clearly, was around the use of HTTP context. context. The, thing that, the thing that, so MVC was built on top of a very large singleton that everything was attached to. And yes, you could mock that singleton, but it meant like every time you did a unit test, you had to create this fake context object um, and so that was a pain point. That was annoying. And so the one thing that we were very intent on doing in Web API was not having any singletons. We still had to support the HTTP context because of the fact that we needed to support IIS and there was just no way around it. But inherently within Web API itself, we, we stayed away from singletons. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, HTTP context has other knock-on implications. Uh, I helped the Glimpse guys try and uh, create a web API version of Glimpse, and HTTP context just killed us because you can't depend on it being there. And they had to do a pretty serious re-architecture of the way they work. So I'm suspecting there's a lot of frameworks out there that take that dependency on HTTP context. And it's unfortunate that I, I regularly see people using web API who write extensions, message handlers, and stuff for it, and they're using HTTP context. They Directly in the handler. Yeah, and they didn't know about the fact that they could get the information they needed from the properties collection on the request. Now, hopefully, with the new request context, it'll be a bit more obvious to them, um, although I have seen a few people cursing at the fact that they're setting thread.principal, and all of a sudden, Web API 2 has broke their, their stuff, because now you have to set it. And, uh, so the, yeah, and so the problem with those implementations that depend on HTTP context that use Web API is you break the hosting model. Right. You can no longer self-host. Well, as soon as when you, you ask when for you, a specific thread, you're in trouble. Yeah. Statics. Statics, Statics are, are evil. evil. Yeah. yeah. It's everything's fine as long as you're the only thing that exists in the universe. It turns out there's, <laughs> a, there's other stuff, and it has an opinion. I, I do agree with Dan, though, that MVC from the get-go was started, like, testability was central. I think that a lot of the decisions around the statics were because of the fact that system.web was still the de facto. And that was the thing that we broke with Web API, mm -hmm. was we said, hey, we're no longer going to depend on system.web. It is not going to be a requirement, which did have some side effects that some people were not thrilled about, which is that when you look at MVC, you have kind of what appears to be like two different stacks, even though the concepts are similar. And it was a very simple reason why we did that. It was like, we can't move forward and really break this hard connection on system.web without introducing a new set of abstractions. Right. Yet we still needed to support the old. We still needed to support web forms and the traditional MVC model. Hey, Richard, you know what time it is? Uh, it must be that happy time again. That's right. It's time to call the doctor about my overmocked singletons. <laughs> you can get a cream for that. Yeah, there's a cream. Nice. nice. No, it's time to give away a Telerik DevCraft Complete Collection to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But before I tell you who the winner is, let me tell you about Telerik Icinium, which lets you develop, test, and publish iOS and Android apps from a single code base using only HTML5 and JavaScript, all from within Visual Studio. 
Capabilities include comprehensive back-end as a service in the cloud, integrated support for Kendo UI and jQuery mobile, as well as integrated testing and deployment capabilities. All this makes Icinium a robust end-to-end mobile app development platform for .NET developers. Telerik Icinium is available on a subscription basis and is now part of the Telerik DevCraft Ultimate Collection. So start a 30-day free trial of Icinium with support at icinium.com slash DNR. That's I-C-E-N-I-U-M dot com slash DNR. And don't forget to thank Telerik for supporting .NET Rocks. For sure. So who's our winner, buddy? Today's winner is James Bradshaw oh, from Worthing James. in the Big UK. Yeah. Awesome. And he's from Worthing. He's only an hour away from here. And he, oh. you know what happened was he got the email. What? Is he in your user group? That's awesome. He just got a Telerik DevCraft What's complete. awesome is he said, hey, thanks a lot. If you're ever in the UK, let me know. I'll buy you whiskey. And I said, we're in London right now. Where are you? <laughs> and he goes, oh, geez. Uh, <laughs> sorry about that. I can't he, come out and buy you whiskey. He owes us a whiskey. You know that. Yeah, you're on him. Okay, I like that. All right. Have him come out. So anyway, uh, if you don't know what we're talking about, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button and answer a few questions and join the fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. Every show we give away a DevCraft Complete Collection, which is everything Telerik does in one box, a $2,000 value. And every December, we give away $5,000 worth of technology to one lucky member of the fan club. We just gave away... Yeah, two weeks ago, we gave away... Ago. To a fellow in the UK, in Wales, uh, yeah. Andy Smith got a tablet development environment. A bunch of computers, some tablets, everything he needed to really get serious about building tablet software. Yeah. And we usually, I don't know how we're going to do this. I don't know how either. So normally we would ask our guest, <laughs> if you had five grand, Let's just do it US, quickly. say 2,700 pounds, what would you buy? I think I'm going to ask a member of the audience, you got, if I give you 2,700 pounds, what would you buy? Anybody got a thought? Somebody Something. raise your hand. Who? Half a MacBook. <laughs> That's a good answer. Would it be the smart half or the dumb half? Okay, yeah, you could buy the high-resolution screen. I mean, one of the things you could do with that kind of money today is buy those 4K screens, which the, the Apple guys are doing a good job with. Yeah. How about so. the guy next to you? What would he buy with five What would you buy? I'd probably buy a flight to somewhere. A flight? <laughs> That's, that's not, not technology. That's not very technical. And it would be Ibiza, which from here is not that far away. Hey, somewhere warm. Ah, there you go. Because oh. it's pretty chilly in England right now. Yeah, I suppose. Can you spend five grand on a monitor? Why, yes, you can. <laughs> Samsung makes about a 42-inch uh, 4K monitor. runs right in that price range. Yeah, you're going to have The only thing more expensive than the monitor is the video card to drive it. Yeah, and the LASIK surgery, you're going to need to see it. <laughs> You got that high resolution laptop that's like 15 inch screen, 3,200 by 1,800, and you had to turn it down because mm-hmm. you're 40 something, just like me, and you can't read that screen. And we're talking extra large fonts. <laughs> All right, we got to get back yeah. into this. Let's get back to it. Uh, Web API from a scalability perspective. Because I'm a scalability guy, and I worry that all of these abstractions slow me down. That there are better ways just calling directly to the appliance. Like, why do I want this abstraction at all? Right? Isn't there a better way? Can I just call the uh, the uh, API directly? 
I think caching solves a large number of scalability issues. I think it's one of the most underused things, HTTP caching. Mm -hmm. that you've got access to all of those things. I think people are underusing uh, those capabilities. Well, that's a performance you really get... issue, but how, how do we scale? Well, if, if you're using intermediaries to deliver responses, then you're not putting load on your server. Right, so right. I mean, you're using edge caches, CDNs, proxy servers. Pro yeah, but after a e while, even local, local uh, WinINet proxy on your Windows machine can remove a tremendous amount of network. Right, traffic. so let's say we need real-time data where caching doesn't work. Now, have, we have multiple servers. We scale out in just the traditional way that we would scale any ASP.NET application, I suppose. Well, now we're talking about real-time data. Maybe HTTP is not the right thing because if yeah. you need really, really high performance, maybe sending a text-based protocol with a whack load of headers right. is not the right choice. You can, yeah. you can still do real-time over HTTP. Yeah, you, you can use you, web sockets you, and pull you, and get. Is web sockets really still HTTP at that point? Yeah, it's a it's an up, a, a upgraded HTTP connection. Well, yeah, well, it's, it's an upgrade. It's, right? it's a different protocol. Yeah, the framing is different. Yeah. Maybe you'd use SignalR. Framing is different, but. Uh, yeah. Well, but SignalR is an abstraction. Like yeah. it's using things like WebSockets. Certainly or easier than WebSockets. Trust me, I know. <laughs> yeah. You know, HTTP in some ways is a very arcane specification. I mean, we're still basically using 1.1 from what 1998. Where's 2.0? I it's blame coming. you, Glenn. It's, it's, it's coming. coming. <laughs> yeah, I still blame you, Glenn. <laughs> Get on this. What is wrong with you? <laughs> Slacker. It must be the hat. <laughs> what it is. Well, 2.0 2 is, is really just a... I mean, they started with Speedy. Yeah, and that's Google. Yeah, yeah. But now it's being managed by the IETF, and Mark Nottingham is leading that effort to standardize it. But really, it's, it, not, it's not changing the semantics of HTTP. It's basically TLS. Optimizing the version, payload. Really? SSL by default. It's which? SSL by default. SSL by default. That's but, I mean, still being debated. <laughs> the other part about I'm Speedy pro. <laughs> was this idea of getting rid of synchronous requests, that I can request all the resources on a page simultaneously and deal with them all coming down at once. This whole lot, you know, the crazy thing about HTTP 1.1 is two requests per connection, right? And we violate that like crazy. Like we're just not following the spec anymore. Well, they changed the spec. They changed that 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 constraint. I mean, that was based on earlier things. I yeah. mean, most browsers now six support six. And, and I mean, if you don't, I mean, a lot of people haven't heard of Speedy. Like the whole thing about Speedy is just request everything, knock yourself out. Right. No, we have to wait for Waka. 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 So W A C A. This has been a little no W A K A. A K A. It's, it's a pet okay. project of Roy Fielding, yeah. and it has some serious semantic changes uh, in. In an HTTP, right? So that that's that will. Outline. So the reality is, there's not major changes coming to HTTP itself for a while. It, no. This this next release is really about optimizations to the transport mechanism. Yeah, um, Wait, but there's no semantic. If there's changes. anything that came out of this conversation so far, is that clearly HTTP is the transport of choice, and HTTPS if you're paranoid like Dominic, but. It's not a good transport. It's an old transport. It has some nice features, but it's been doing the same things for for bloody. Well, there's a question years. of is it a, is it, it the wrong? It's not. It, well, it's not a transport. It's an application layer protocol. But, sure. But the question is, what is it designed for? It right. does the thing that it was designed for still very very well. The the challenge is that we're trying to retrofit everything into it. Yes. 
And, and just like all communication happens over port 80, mm-hmm. which makes the security And because it's crazy. easy, right? Because yeah. because it works, it can pass through the firewall. Yeah, I mean, it's there's completely unconstrained. There's a lot of uh, you know laziness. I don't want to call it laziness, but it's it's you know it's very easy to just use HTTP. And and here's the funny thing: as soon as the viruses can get through port 80, won't the firewalls get smarter? And won't port 80 be un- just as dangerous as all the other ports? Yeah, okay. Port 80 so. is that dangerous. <laughs> yeah. That is the primary transport of viruses. Yeah, actually. exactly. Um, so, do you guys know about this? Uh, report came out yesterday in the news that Microsoft is going to encrypt data in its services in a bid to prevent snooping from the NSA. So, they have this thing called the, an encryption initiative, which uh, I don't know anything about it other than what came out yesterday in the news. Apparently, there's some sort of encryption that's going into Windows, and it has uh, implications for us about, uh, you know, NSA-proof security. Does this, you know, does this mean that SSL is kind of a joke anyway? Dominic's all over this. Really? Where was that? (laughs) There he is. Dominic, It's good when they introduce new encryption, but where where are the keys? Uh, I mean... I mean, uh, they're at the I, NSA. I, Duh. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm always saying SSL is a prerequisite for any serious application because, and I think what what most people don't get is it, it's it's not about the encryption. SSL does the server authentication. You don't want to send your credit card to a server when you're not sure it's the right server. Um, and, and SSL is about integrity protection. You don't want to make, let other people modify the packets on the wire. SSL is about replay protection. You don't want that other people just replay your packets and you buy another book and another book and another book. Yeah, I mean, while impersonating your network packets. I mean, sure. it, it's so much. I mean, that, that, that's the reason why we, when we talk about WS security in the beginning, why message security was so complex because they didn't have SSL. <laughs> yeah, and uh, uh, coming back to your point, yeah, well. It's pretty unclear who has our backup copies of all the yeah. master signing keys these days, but still, I think that's that that's still that there's still no excuse for not using SSL. Yeah, there is pressure to make better keys. Like SSL itself is, uh, I think, already at this point we're in December of 2013. Like the one K uh, cert is no longer legit. One yeah. K is one K is gone long gone. It has to be a four K cert now. Yeah, but that doesn't help if the uh, algorithms inside yeah. have been heavily Everybody massaged. has to copy the public key. <laughs> <laughs> and, it, 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 and, and it doesn't help if, if those signing keys, you know, can be repurposed. All right. Well, well we, <laughs> you and I could have a crypto conversation for the next hour and everybody else would fall asleep. I like this stuff, but apparently I'm the only one. But I have a question from the audience here. Um, this is going back a bit, but when we're talking about scaling, is there any reason... Am I missing something? Is there any reason why a distributor in front of, you know, a standard distributor in front of the API would not work? Like a load or balancer? Load balancer, yeah, that's what I was looking for. <laughs> if, as long as you design your APIs so they're not stateful, which is the way you should, yeah. then it'll work fine with a load balancer. Well, and, and, and this gets back to, to encryption as well. You have to design the encryption so I don't care how many machines follow the same PKI. Right. If I have a separate cert for each machine, then I have to be stateful of the machine. Machine key is a popular example in ASP.NET. Yeah, that, that's a that's key material that needs to be on every single node in the cluster, right. so that you are you, you can be actually stateless. Yeah, or, or so, seamlessly that, distributing. If we're going to play that game, that means we're back to IIS on Web API because it takes care of the shared key. No. 
That's so who owns the key when it comes to Web API? It's it's ASP.NET. I mean, the machine key. It's what? It's ASP.NET. The host. It's the host environment. It's the host. So I'm presuming the host environment all understands running the ASP.NET host. Well, machine key is one mechanism. There, yeah. there was an example. I mean, you need, if you want to do that stuff, you need shared key material over all the nodes. If it's ASP.NET, IIS, whatever, it doesn't matter. I'm just wondering if we have a straw man here. Aren't we really talking about running IIS everywhere? Really? Uh, no. no. So who else runs the Web API, Daryl? Owen. Oh, I was just going to say, where's Owen fit in all this? All right, take us down the path. So first the of all, Owen runs great. On IS. First of all, let's yes, I bet it does. <laughs> and let's, and you let's, should use it there. Let's define Owen for everybody who doesn't know. O W I N. Owen is the open web interface for .NET, and it defines a nice abstraction and interface between web applications and web servers. And what is it really? Nice is relative. Nice anyway. is relative, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, very man, very simple, do. low level. <laughs> okay, <laughs> if, you were gonna, if, if you and I meet in an elevator and I say, what's Owen? What are you really going to tell me? Well, what, do I, what don't I need when I have Owen? Owen? What don't you need if you yeah. have Owen? What, what Owen really enables is that it defines something very, with very few dependencies that people can write to and then know that they can reuse. On, in their applications, if you if you write, it, you know, Owen at its core is this like uh, delegates a func that takes a dictionary and returns a task. Very very simple. Very few dependencies. You know, how many times have you run into this problem where you, know, you love framework X and framework X, you know, uses program programming model Y, and then it, you know, to integrate with it, you have to go play in that framework X's world. If you want to go use a different framework, you got to go play in that framework's world. And you know, you kind of look at each other and say, why? You, you then end up writing the same stuff. Twice, one for that framework, one for the other framework. What if you could then instead say, let's agree on something really simple, really low level. We'll write to that, and then that's really easy to use with framework, framework X or framework it's Y. It's another Owen, layer. It's inspired by a model that has existed outside of the Microsoft ecosystem. So in Ruby, there is Rack, and mm -hmm. in Python, there's Whiskey. It's another and it's basically just an interface that allows you to pick and choose frameworks and servers and mix and match them okay. and even have multiple frameworks running on top. So, so answer, like in what, between IIS, in this case, and your code is Owen. And if you're hosted else, on IIS, hosted on Owen IIS. will be there, yeah. right. but IIS may not be there. Right, so that's it's the abstraction the layer between the server and yes. your code. Exactly, and what it allows that, that, that Dan was talking about is actually having multiple frameworks. So I could use like Nancy, let's say, yeah. and SignalR, so and Web API if I really wanted to, all running on the same exact host environment. Got and it. then those frameworks can then take advantage of common infrastructure pieces like like a core, so cross-origin resource sharing, authentication, Middleware. caching, output caching. These are all things that, you know, we, we wrote them for ASP.NET, but if you want to run in any other environment, the, the, well, those pieces aren't available to you. Yep. Uh, if, with Nancy and all these Owen-based frameworks running on Owen-capable servers, you can now reuse all that common infrastructure, which I, is I great. It hopefully it helps the open I source. Think Pedro. I think that the, the main idea behind Owen, in my perspective, is composition. Being able, and OWIN is a specification, so yeah. it's, it's not a technology, yeah. it's a specification that allows for composition to build uh, web applications that are the composition of little pieces, web frameworks, a server, middleware, sure. that, that, that I can choose from different sources and aggregate, aggregate and build 
one application. Okay, now that we know what it is, let's get back to the context of what we were talking right. about. Show me an Owen stack that doesn't involve IIS. Daryl. I have an example that we did recently at a customer site. They're using Windows 8 tablets in a commercial retail environment. They want to do card swipe yep. with a Bluetooth reader. Mm-hmm. 8.0 did not have any support for Bluetooth readers. Right. So we built a Windows service running in desktop mode mm-hmm. that hosted SignalR and Web API. You use the Web API to configure the information for the Bluetooth device. Mm-hmm. SignalR to communicate over to the WinRT app that was providing oh, the nice, detail Oh, nice, because the WinRT's been encapsulated, so you've got a clear communication path there. Because there's no problem with there's a WinRT SignalR client. Sure, and there's so, no IIS involved. No IIS okay, involved. Okay, I'm officially odd. That's yeah, cool. That's awesome. That's really interesting, just as, you know... Because encapsulation of WinRT is a good thing, right? It has a lot of advantages, but it means you have to play this game of how do you communicate to it. So, the, And it just speaks to this idea of, so I can communicate to anything I want, really. So I don't know who coined the phrase, but every computer science problem can be solved with one more layer of indirection. Right. I don't know where that phrase came from. Uh, I heard it from I, Hanselman. I, I can tell you we have lots of teams at Microsoft that are actually putting up servers that are running in self-host environments. Yeah. Right. And that... And that um, they were concerned, actually, when they first heard we were bringing Web API over because they were like, we don't want to lose that self-host capability. And yeah. this is actually Teams at Microsoft sure, using wow. it for internal apps. Christian? So this is actually, for me personally, or we at uh, ThinkTecture, one of the most interesting features of Web API ever, the self-hosting aspect, because we are working with a lot of ISVs yeah. who have been traditionally in the desktop-only world, like sitting inside of a VB6 application or sitting inside of Microsoft Access, for example, and now they, they have the need to build up an architecture which is uh, going the path down into a distributed application architecture where they can move the client onto other machines and right. devices, have maybe later on a mobile and a tablet um, version of the client, right. and they need to, to extract that application logic sitting deep in the in the core of the desktop application, move it out into services into, well, in former days, they did it with WZF. Now they are just using ASP.NET Web API right. and self-hosted them inside of yeah. Windows service. No IS involved so because really they cannot afford to sell that software and still take a dependency on IIS because the guy buying the software has to deal with IIS and that's right. a no-go. Didn't you used to tell me, too, that in Europe in particular, there were a lot of customers of that course, were... Yeah. I mean, that was a serious problem. I still remember our discussion on the Web API advisory discussion list. I had, I had two, two points. Please, guys, make this happen. First, don't call it ASP.NET. Yes. Well, oh, yeah, I remember that. That didn't happen, right? <laughs> <laughs> the second one was, please give us first-class self-hosting. And this is yeah. just improving with OWIN now. Right. Yeah. So... I mean, that comes down to an individual IT director or senior director's scars around running IIS. Like, he decides, yeah, we're not going to do that. It's become a requirement, and we're not going to do that. And so, y- you need to have an answer. Even well, I mean, I mean, IIS might have been a good answer. That, that said, that, that said uh, the way you should think about self-hosting yeah. is it's, it's not something you actually are really going to want to do. You do yeah. it because you have no other you have choice. have to do 
Yeah. You're gonna, I guess you're going to get a ton of features you're going to lose out on once you move into that world, like mm -hmm. the, the management of the process, sure. the error logging, all that stuff, I, the I native modules. I still don't know that I buy what you just said. <laughs> I know plenty of people with all the features would choose to have it. Um, but I think it's really important to say that IIS adoption is extremely strong and it's not going away and yeah. it's got well, very strong support in web API. And, but and I, know I don't think that IIS is the problem. I think that teams running IIS who don't understand it well are the problem, right? It's actually a good product, poorly managed, not from by Microsoft, but by most people who install it. But it actually takes time to understand the platform. Well, it's also like, another dependency when you're getting, dealing with a very big deployment yeah. environment. The thing that people really like about Selfos, I could deploy an EX, you know, I could bin deploy a couple of files and an EXE to a server, and I know lots of customers that are doing it that yeah. way. It, I don't want Azure to Worker Role, right? I, I, we can run, that was another huge thing, by the way. As cloud adoption start, and as a matter of fact, I remember, I'll give bring some history. I'm sitting in the room with Phil Hack and uh, Scott Hunter and Brad Wilson well before the wet merger ever happened, and we're talking about why do we even need this web API thing? Why can't we just do MVC with JSON result and whatever? And I said to them, make MVC support self-host. That was what I said. I said, like, because... And, and they all I said because at that point. <laughs> but that is what they ended up doing to yeah. their credit. But, but it was like, customers want to be able to deploy to work a role in Windows Azure, which is just is that a, not running on top is of that just IS. a powerful... The customer wants to do what the customer wants to do. Yeah. And if you don't support it, you don't get to play. Well, you can sometimes say, hey, well, that's great. The customers want to do that. But, I mean, I think... And that doesn't mean we have to do it. Yeah. But I think the point was here was that customers were finding a lot of value. And guess what? Windows Azure created this thing called Worker Role, where that was basically a way of saying that, yes, we find it valuable for you to be able to just run without having to sit on top of IIS. And, hey. and basically, that was lost without having self-host. Self -host. Hey, guys, Andrew in the audience has a question. So you say the customer wants to do what the customer wants to do. This customer is beginning to want to run everything on Linux. I know that's a dark side for Microsoft, but... It's the way it works for our environment. Provisioning servers, I think, is a lot easier. It seems that it's this, uh, you kind of push to run on modern environments works. Is there ever going to be real support for Linux? I know it's, as a business model, it means Windows isn't great, but it means at least we're still going to have Visual Studio. Is there anything you're thinking of doing in that area? As long as you I'll run let your Dan Linux, speak to that as one. long as you run your <laughs> Linux VM on Azure, it's fine. against Linux? Yeah, it definitely can work. Yeah, with with, with mono or whatever. I guess yeah. the point is, it can work. Is there being any sort of momentum behind it? There is momentum. Absolutely, there's been public. I mean, there's momentum around making. I mean, Dan can you'll, speak better you'll to it. You'll notice that in our like with the Owen, the, well, the Microsoft implementation of Owen is called pro, called Katana, or the Microsoft Owen components. I think is its official product name. But that guy has no license restriction that prevents you from running it on on top of Mono on, on Linux. You're well, you're welcome to do that. Uh, I don't I don't think we actually have any direct support for it. So you're you're on your own. But there's no no restriction from 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 doing it. Uh, we you know. If you need that portability, it's 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 available. Are you guys running uh, in C sharp and mono? Um, we want to, and we're struggling, and so we're probably going to leave Web API. Okay. So one of the other things to be aware of is the uh, HTTP client, which comes in system dot net .http, which is the underlying object model for Web API. Recently was released as a portable class library, and even more recently, the license was changed to allow that to run on mono. So that, that makes accessibility using that object model uh, from mono environment that much more possible. 
And Owen is not just a pure Microsoft thing. Owen is a standard that had many people like Mark Rendell and, you know, it was a mix of a lot of people from the community and people from Microsoft that have been involved. And so there is energy in that community because Owen is just a standard anyway that there's going to be an implementation for Mono no matter what, whether, whether Microsoft does it or somebody else does it. Well, guys, we're just about out of time, so I'd like to get a round of applause for the panel. Big round of applause. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rock! .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a